And our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 7 through 14. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative. And the word of the Lord is completely sufficient. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 7. Therefore, do not associate with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper! And arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we ask this morning that you would meet with us through your word. We ask, great Father... Son and Holy Spirit, that you would change our lives by your word. That your word would come and take deep root within us. That we would not only hear it, but that we would hear it and be changed and obey and be thankful. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. It seems today that there is a battle going on. A battle between the church and the world. And as we think about this kind of battle that plays itself out in the headlines, and in the arts, and in educational venues, we can be discouraged. We begin to think that somehow God is losing. The things shouldn't be like this. We try to remember back to a time when the church had more influence in our nation. When it didn't seem to be a struggle in public to talk about the things of the Lord. But the truth of the matter is, is that the battle that we see before us is not unusual. There has always been a battle between those who trust the Lord Jesus Christ by faith and between the world that rejects Jesus. Paul talks about it here for us this morning. There was a battle going on 2,000 years ago in the town of Ephesus. And it's the same kind of battle that occurs here 2,000 years later in Houston. It is a battle between light and darkness, 
between those who trust the Lord Jesus and those who do not, between those whom the Holy Spirit has changed and renewed, and those who seek to sink deeper and deeper into their own sin. And so this morning, the Apostle Paul gives us not only an account of the battle at Ephesus, but principles to help us to live today, to interact with others, and to lead our own lives to the honor of the Lord. Three things I would like us to see this morning from our text. First, Paul describes how we are changed from the inside. Changed from the inside. And then secondly, in light of that change, he gives us an exhortation to live as light. To live as light in the world. And then thirdly, he presses it upon us to battle the darkness in our world. Not only to live as light, but also to battle the darkness. Let's begin then this morning by looking at what it means to be changed from the inside out. Paul has been giving us directives on how to live in Ephesians chapter 5. He has been doing this since chapter 4, been telling us and giving us reasons about why we are to live in accordance with God's word. He's been giving us motivation to go forward. He's been telling us to strive, to use effort to follow God's word. And just last week we saw that we were told to imitate God. To think God's thoughts after him. To act in accordance with the will and word of God. And at the end of verse 6, Paul reminds us that there are eternal stakes for our action. He says that we are not to let anyone deceive us. For because of these things, that is wickedness and evil and unbelief, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Paul reminds us that the way we live has an eternal stake. Now, many today around us will try and dismiss what Paul is saying. Some will say that the difference between how the Bible tells us to live and how the world lives really isn't that important. It's not that significant. We shouldn't lose any sleep over this. And some will actually go so far as to say, as the way we live makes no difference really at all. It doesn't matter. There's no, no consequence to it. We should just simply chill out. Let everything be as it is. Not to be critical of anyone or not to even try to work that hard in our lives. But the truth is that God's word reminds us that there is a difference in the lives of those who trust the Lord Jesus by faith. And those who reject him. And when we live like the world, when we who profess the name of Jesus live like those who reject him, what we are doing in essence is turning our back on God. Now think about that for a minute. That the way you live says as much about your relationship to Jesus as your words say about your relationship to Jesus. You cannot claim to know and embrace Jesus Christ and then to live in a way 
that is directly the opposite that he has commanded. To live like the world is to turn our backs on God. But you have to also understand that the world system does not live by God's commands because it is against God. James puts it this way. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Paul says that even our thoughts betray our allegiance. In Romans chapter 8, he says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And so the truth is, when we live contrary to God's word, we are siding with the world. We are placing ourselves as enemies to God. Now, we seldom think about it this way, do we? We like to view our disobedience to God as a small thing, as something that really is just on the edges, isn't that important. We talk about little white lies, don't we? We talk about small things that we borrow, of course, never intending to give back. We think about the dishonor that we give to God as just time we need for ourselves. You see, the problem is, if we viewed our own behavior, if we looked at our own sins, and each and every time we were faced with the choice of sinning or not, as will I be against God or not, it would affect the way that we live. You see, we assume that God won't notice what we're doing. That He won't mind Have you ever thought about that with respect to your own actions in your daily life? That the God who is the creator of the universe, the one to whom you pray knowing that he sees all things and can do all things, is going to suddenly take a nap when you want to do something contrary to his word? You see, that's not in the nature of God. And the truth is, Paul says, when we act that way, we are acting in partnership with the enemies of God. This is what he says in verse 7. Because the wrath of God abides on the sons of disobedience, therefore do not associate with them. Now, the word here, associate, does not have with it the meaning, don't ever be in the same room with someone who's not a Christian. It doesn't say that you need to set up Christian restaurants and Christian businesses and Christian neighborhoods and that we never are found in the company of non-Christians. That's not what Paul means. The word here, associate, is also translated by other translations, be a partner with, partake of. And the reality is we are not to cast our lot with the world. It's actually the same word that Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, to describe how we are partakers of the covenant of promise. It is something that we make a part of our very being, that we live our lives in accordance with. And what Paul is telling us is do not live in partnership with the world. Now, there is a reason that this is the case. 
In the past, it might not have been the case. But now, things have changed, Paul says. He says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You see, Paul reminds us that in the past, when we thought as the world thought, when we did as the world did, it was not just that we did some bad things. It was not just that we needed to clean up our act. He says, you weren't just in darkness. You were darkness. Now that hits home, doesn't it? You see, we like to think of ourselves as victims of the darkness out there. That somehow it surrounds us. That our worst case scenario was we were lost in darkness, we couldn't find our way, and we needed some help, and Jesus gives us a boost. But Paul says, no. You weren't in darkness. You were darkness. You were a part of the problem with the world. You didn't just have the problems of the world. You were part of the problem. You were the cause. You were the wickedness, Paul says. We were a part of what made the world bad. But then Paul comes and gives those two great gospel words. Two of my favorite words in all of the Bible. But now. You were darkness, but now you are light. You see, over and over we hear this in the scriptures. It is the work of the gospel. It is changing fundamentally who we are. We are no longer a part of the world. We are no longer at war with God. And a radical change has happened down to our very roots. It's not that we've just got some improvement. It's not that we come to Jesus and our lives get better. It is not that God simply makes our circumstances better. That he takes us out of darkness and brings us into a place of light. No, the Lord our God in his mercy and grace changes who we are. He takes us from being darkness to being light. He makes us a part of the solution for the world. God's response to the world is the redeemed, the church. We are his ambassadors in the world to bring the message of Jesus to a lost, dark world. It's not just that we've gotten better. We've changed. We are the opposite of what we once were. Now, Paul will tell us in a moment about the effects of what light brings. But here we need to see that it is not just that we are in the light. It is not just that we are to do acts of the light. No, the Lord has taken us from being his enemies to being, as Paul describes it, his children. Walk as children of light, Paul says. And so this should give you great hope if you trust the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. If you have given up trying on your own, if you've given up reform and reformation, and you have sought renewal by putting yourself at the feet of the cross, then that should give you great hope. Because the Lord has not just made things possible. He's not just put you in a better environment where you can possibly 
flourish. Obey Him. He has changed you from who you were. And that makes the change in your behavior inevitable. It is what comes from you. And this is why Paul then moves secondly to exhort us, to command us to live as light. And he begins by laying a foundation. The next question that comes to our mind is, what does walking as children of light look like? We can understand that if we are different, then our lives will be different. And it means that we used to walk in darkness, but now we walk in light. And children of light have confidence in the Lord. Now think of what light means to you. I'll ask this as a rhetorical question so no one needs to raise their hand. Do you remember when you were younger, or maybe as you're young right now, how when you went to bed, you turned on a light in the bedroom? You had a night light, or you left the light on in the bathroom, or the light on in the hall. Now, on one sense, this seems silly, doesn't it? Because the whole purpose of sleeping is for it to be dark and for you to be able to rest. But the truth is, is that the light gives us comfort, doesn't it? The light makes us feel safe, doesn't it? Because when the light's on, we can see that there are no monsters, that there are no burglars, that there's no danger around us. We can see everything around us and we feel safe. This is what it means in a spiritual sense for us. As we are children of light and as the light shines in, we see that we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear from God because we are reconciled to Him and because God is all-powerful, all-wise, and all-knowing. We have nothing to fear because we are in His hands. But there's another thing that the light does. There's an openness to the light. When the light is out, we can be seen. And everything that we do is open to others. There is a transparency to light, isn't there? We are open before everyone else. We must live out who we actually are. How different is this from the world? You see, the world lives hiding its true motives, doesn't it? Have you ever gone into a store, perhaps to buy an appliance, and someone is there to help you, and he looks at you and he says, I think you should buy this appliance right here. It's the best one that we make. If I were buying it, I would buy it myself. And you thought to yourself, does he really mean that? Or is he just trying to get a commission? Does he see me as an easy mark? And so before we even go in, we go in armed against the salesman. We do all of our research to make sure he's not hiding his true motives. You see, that's how the world operates. You're never sure who you're really dealing with. The world is constantly trying to seem better than it actually is. But for the followers of Jesus, we merely live out our lives honestly, transparently before others because God has made us children of light. 
Living this way is not an option for us. It's not something that some Christians can do and other Christians can avoid. And Paul describes this when he uses the term fruit. He says, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Now, fruit is something that comes inevitably, consequentially, from the nature of the tree. Right? An apple tree bears what? Apples. Why? Because it's an apple tree. It's what apple trees do. An orange tree bears oranges. Because that's the nature of the tree. An orange tree doesn't say to itself one week, I think I'll bear pears. Because I hear the market's better for pears this month. No, it is an inevitable consequence of what the tree is. And that's what Paul describes us as. Our actions are an inevitable consequence of who we are in Christ. And if we are found in Christ, we are children of light and our fruit will be the fruit of light. So what will this changed life look like? Paul gives us just three examples. He calls it the fruit of light, and it's remarkably like the fruit of the Spirit that's found in Galatians chapter 5. He says the fruit of light is to be good. Now, this is more than just an amorphous character. To be good here means to be generous. To desire to bless other people. To be other-centered. To want the best for others. The second thing that Paul describes is he says that we are to be right or righteous. And righteousness means to have integrity in all of our dealings with other people. To be honest with others. To be real in who we are. To not to take advantage of others. Again, to be open, transparent. The third description that Paul gives is that we are to be true. There is no falsehood or deception to be found in us. Now, we know this is the fruit of light because this describes the nature of God, who is himself light, the scripture tells us. And then it should not surprise us that Paul is telling us that we are to live after the nature of God because God himself has redeemed us and changed us. Our life is like a glow-in-the-dark toy, Paul says. What? Have you ever had a glow-in-the-dark toy? You turn off the light and the toy glows... It gives off light. But remember, let me ask you this. How does a glow-in-the-dark toy work? I mean a real glow-in-the-dark toy, not something with batteries. What you have to do first is take that toy and put it near a light source so that it absorbs the light. You put it near a light bulb or the sun. And then when you bring it into the darkness, what does it do? It shines. Because it has absorbed that source of light and it reflects it. And that is what we are called to do as Christians. We are called to follow the Lord, to absorb His light. Because He has changed us. He has made us after His image. And we are to reflect to the world, in a world of darkness, what light is. 
And it does not come of ourselves. It comes from the Lord himself. And so we don't have to worry about losing our supply of light. Because God himself is light. He constantly provides for us. And this is a great encouragement as we face the world. Paul then moves to an application of what living as light means. He's laid the foundation, and now he begins applying it. You see, when we are transformed, we realize that the world is not all about us. To be changed by God means to know at our heart that the world is all about God and His glory, not ourselves. And this then shapes our approach toward everything. And so Paul then goes to what seems to be a very difficult phrase in verse 10. He says we are to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now at first glance, we might think God is making us guess. Have you ever had that experience, maybe when you first met your spouse, or when you're with a new friend, and you have to get them a birthday gift. And you have no idea what they would want. And you don't want to ask them because that would ruin the surprise. And so you have to guess at what is pleasing to them. And oftentimes, if you're like me, you just assume, I know what I like. I'm smart. They're smart. They must like what I like. And I'll get them what I like. But in reality, all you're doing is simply guessing. But what Paul says is, we don't have to guess at what pleases God. God tells us that in his word. But what he means by trying to to discern is he means proving, showing to ourselves and to others. It is the practical application of that foundation. We know what God desires. He has told us in his word and he has told us just now. What is good, right, and true. And now he has made us by his grace in such a way to fulfill this. And so what Paul is referring to is living out these principles practically. It is resisting the world and living the transformed life. The word that Paul uses here for discern is the same word that he uses in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Where he tells us not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That you may prove the will of God. That you may prove to yourself and to others that what God says is true. You see, we keep working at this until the pleasure of God becomes a part of us. It's like practicing on a musical instrument. You learn the piece, and then what do you do? You practice. So you know the piece better, and what do you do? You practice. And you know it even better, so what do you do? You practice. You keep practicing and practicing and practicing until it becomes a very part of you. It's not that you didn't understand the piece at the beginning. It's not that you were lost and you just wanted to bang on the keyboard and say, I hope music comes out. 
You know what it is, but you want it to be a very part of you. You want to know it intricately, in and out. You want to prove it is the best piece. It is worthy of being played and enjoyed. That's what our life is like in Christ. We know how God has told us to live. It's clear in His Word. And yet we must practice it. We must prove it. We must prove it to ourselves and to the world to show that Jesus is supreme. We keep working at who we are until the pleasure of God becomes a part of us. The third thing we see is an exhortation from Paul to battle the darkness. Now, living as the light, as Paul has told us, will have an effect on darkness. Again, think about how light works. You turn on the light and the darkness is dispelled. Everything that was hidden by the darkness is now shown up. We actually turn on the light to make the darkness go away, don't we? That's what we do. And so Paul reminds us that because we are light, we are in a battle. Faith in Jesus Christ changes everything because it changes who we are. We are no longer able to tolerate the enemies of Christ. We have to now go past our old selves We need to take no part at all, Paul says in verse 11, of the unfruitfulness of the works of darkness. When Paul says take no part, he means do not be connected, do not have fellowship with the works of darkness. Now, this is directly contrary to the way the world speaks to you. The world tells you that you must be tolerant. That you must tolerate darkness and wickedness. The latest occasion of this that I saw just this week was in news about Airbnb. If you don't know what Airbnb is, it is a room, home, apartment sharing system. It's kind of like Uber for homes. In which you can rent out your apartment or your room or your house to someone who wants to come for a few days without having to be a landlord, or if you want to stay for a few days in a city, you can find a place to stay. Airbnb just announced that followers of the Lord Jesus Christ are not welcome to do business with them. Because in order to do business with them, you must now actively affirm, you must confess that what God says in His Word about marriage, And about sexuality is false. You must actively affirm that homosexuality is right and good. You don't have to even tolerate it or be quiet about it. You must affirm it and sign on the dotted line or else get out of town. It seems to me that things like this are closer to what the book of Revelation speaks of in the mark of the beast than some sort of magical tattoo. It is a requirement by the world that you must live by the world's standards. And Paul says, we cannot do that. Because the works of darkness are unfruitful. They are sterile. They are not life-giving. Think about what the darkness produces. It produces disease. It produces death. 
you see, there is a promise of great things in the dark. But in reality, all that comes up is destruction. And Paul reminds us that we are in a battle with the world. Now, this does not mean that you must fight every battle that comes to you. Please, do not go out this week and correct everyone you see and tell them the pastor said you had to. That's not what I'm saying. It's not that we must fight each and every battle that comes before us, but it is that we must understand we are in a battle, that there is a battle before us between the Lord and the world, between the followers of Christ and his enemies. We must understand that the world is out to destroy God and his people. And so we cannot just avoid doing bad things. Paul says to us, it's not just that we can live a life in which we go to places where we won't hear bad words. Or we never go to places where we will see bad things. No, Paul says something much more personal. He says in verse 11, but instead expose them. What he means is, it's not just that we are to not take part in the works of darkness. We are to fight them. We are to expose them to the light. We are to show them for what they are. And that means speaking the truth. And in our day and age, that's frightening, isn't it? Have you ever been out to a party or in a social event? And someone just makes a declaration that is completely contrary to the Bible. They'll say something that the Bible says is false, is true. Or that the Bible says is wicked, is good. And then after they've made that declaration, they look at you and they're waiting for you to at least nod your head. Yeah, okay, I agree. Even better if you speak up in agreement. That's a frightening place to be, isn't it? Because to speak the truth might mean awkwardness or ostracization or losing friends or being thought foolish. But you see, Paul says, you are children of light. You must do what light does. You must expose the darkness. You must show it for what it really is. The Christian life is actually quite simple. God has made us light. Therefore, we are to shine, and that makes visible the darkness. If you've ever wondered why there's such conflict between the popular culture and God's word in the church, this is it. Because God's people can't help but expose the works of darkness. It's because of who we are. We are light. That means we must have a positive answer as we conduct ourselves in the world. We cannot always and constantly be against things. We must declare the truth of God's word. We must declare how good and beautiful the things of God are. How healthy and happy and joyful the things of God are. This is what it means to fight this battle. And this battle is not optional. Paul tells us we need to wake up. We need to be ready. Look at verse 
14. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You see, too many people today think that they can avoid the battle. They're trying to find ground that they can give up to make it go away. They think that if we just give things to the world, if we just abandon some principles, maybe we'll be left alone. And Paul says, you have to know the battle is here. You have to wake up. You have to actually be eager and ready. And so what he does is he gives a quote here that's not really a quote. It's kind of a composite pulled together from at least four verses in the book of Isaiah. And he says, wake up because God has changed you. He says, wake up because you should be joyful about what he has done. He says, wake up because he has strengthened you by his spirit. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem. God is telling us to be awake and ready for the battle because God is at our side and he has made us anew and he has made us who we are. And we must live in accordance with who we are. Not pretending, not lying, not deceiving. You see, the culmination of this is not what we think. Oftentimes, we think that the battle is won for our culture. It is not. Sometimes we think it's a battle to preserve our preferences. It is not. In this battle, we are serving Jesus Christ. It is a battle to determine whether Jesus will be glorified in His creation. That is what we fight for. For the honor of Jesus Christ, that He would be acknowledged by all to be King and Lord. When we think about our lives in those kind of cosmic circumstances, it makes us have courage. It gives us confidence It lets us know that the Lord is behind us. Paul is calling you here today to live in accordance with who God has made you to be. To be light in a dark world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way in which you have created us anew. We thank you, O Lord, that we can trust you, for you are sovereign, and you are good and kind. Lord, we ask that you would be with us this coming week especially, as we face challenges, trials, circumstances that would cause us to be weak. That we would remember, O Lord, what you have done. That we would seek your glory in all that we do. This we ask. In Christ's precious name, amen.